Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. We're going to talk about fasting. Yeah, I didn't think you'd be shouting me down on that one. Two weeks ago, we began our annual 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting, and we've devoted the first two messages uh, to prayer. Week one, if you recall, those of you that were here, uh, we looked at um, how to pray, and we looked at the template that Jesus gave us or gave the disciples when they asked him, said, or said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Then last week, we kind of amped it up and talked about how to not just pray, but pray always, which isn't as intimidating as it sounds. The Apostle Paul was simply talking about acknowledging Jesus throughout our daily lives and routine, all right? And as we enter this final week, I want to talk about fasting and how we can incorporate that into our times of prayer. While the word fasting appears about 75 times in the Bible, really you could pretty much summarize its application to us in two statements that Jesus made about it. First one's in Matthew 9, verse 15. It says, Jesus, well, this is a statement Jesus expected the church to fast. That's, that's the first point that Jesus made, that he expected us, the New Testament church, to fast. It says, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. All right, that's the first thing he said about it. The other thing that Jesus said about it, uh, he said that certain powers of darkness couldn't be broken apart from fasting. And the scripture reference for that is our text for this morning, Matthew 17, 14. It says, when they came to the crowd... It says, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly, and he often falls into the fire or into the water. Verse 16, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Now, this, this must have been a shocker to the disciples. We know this because Luke tells us in Luke 9, verse 1, he said, one day Jesus called all the disciples together and gave them power and authority to cast out demons and heal diseases, all right? That's very clear. And, and we know that they had been operating in that power and authority to some degree. Otherwise, this father wouldn't have brought his son to them. So we know that that was working for them at least for a while. And everything was good till now, till this time. This time, that power and authority was nowhere to be found. We don't know exactly how this played out other than this father somehow finds out the disciples are close by. He brings his son, his demon-possessed son to them to pray for. So, and again, we don't know, you know, you know, you know pray, you know, whatever. They prayed in Jesus' name and nothing. Maybe they tried it again. In Jesus' name and nothing. And this didn't just catch the disciples by surprise. It also caught this father by surprise. When the disciples weren't able to help his son, the father seeks out Jesus. He finds out where Jesus is at, brings his son to Jesus, tells him the story about how, hey, I, you know, you're, I brought him to your disciples, but they weren't able to help him. Now, I want you to look closely at Jesus' response after this father tells him that the disciples weren't able to help his son. Speaking to no one in particular, but loud enough for everyone to hear, listen to Jesus' response here in verse 17. You unbelieving and perverse generation. 
So note, note here that Jesus specifically mentions two things that hindered or prevented prayer from working, at least in this particular case. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Now back up in verse 17, Jesus actually identifies two problems that can hinder our prayers. Unbelief and perversion. Now, for the sake of our study, let me give you a couple of definitions for these words as they would apply to our prayer life. Unbelieving, that is not connected to God, at least not connected enough to have faith for God to do big things for us. To whatever degree, listen, to whatever degree that we're not connected to God, right, however much we disconnect from God is the degree to which doubt will creep into our minds. Disconnecting from God does untold damage to our faith. And the scary thing is we usually don't know how much damage it's done to our faith till we encounter a situation where we need it, like what happened here with the disciples. So one thing that can severely hinder our prayers, according to Jesus, is not connecting enough with God. And the other problem is perverse. You're unbelieving and perverse. And the definition here is too connected to the world. Unbelieving is not connected enough to God. Perverse is too connected to the world. Jesus said, you're not connected enough to God, and you're too connected to the world. So basically, Jesus said the problem of the boy not getting healed, it was a connection problem. right? Not properly connected to God and too connected to the world. And, and those two things, in a nutshell, describe our faith journey. How we're either not connected to God enough or too connected to the world or both. Now, as far as what this looks like, you know, what not connected enough to God and being too connected to the world looks like. Look, you don't need me, you don't need me to tell you that for two reasons. First, you probably already know, okay? You probably already know. And second, I'm not the Holy Spirit sheriff, all right? I'm not, I'm not going to tell you, you know, what, you're, what you should and shouldn't do, right? You know, that, that's the Holy Spirit's job, to bring conviction in those areas that might hinder or work against God's plan and purposes from being done and lived out in your life. So, during your prayer times, when you, when you get to the petition part, the asking part, just ask God, just be honest, just ask, say, God, is there something in my life that shouldn't be there? Something that's working against your will from being lived out in my life. And I believe he'll show you. If you're honest with him, I believe he'll show you. He might, you know, he might say something like, well, as a matter of fact, since you asked, <laughs> you know, you did used to spend more time with me, right? right? You used to spend, or, you know, you did used to pray more than, than you've been praying lately. Or, you know, you really need to take your, your next step and join a dream team. Or, you know, I think it's about time that you take your next step and join a growth group. You notice how slick I was getting that advertisement in there for our growth groups starting up here real quick. On the other side of that, ask him if there's any areas of your life where you've got too connected to the world. Again, this is a conversation that you need to have with God. The point being, you, me, right, none of us set out to, to disconnect from God. Right? None of us set out to do that. None of us set out to disconnect from God and get too connected to the world. It just happens. It just happens. As sinful, broken people, our natural gravitational pull is away from God and towards the world. That's why we need to be intentional about having these honest conversations with God. And thankfully for us, thankfully for us, Jesus doesn't just point out the problem. He also gives a solution to the problem. In verse 19, Matthew 17, Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out, right? Why did they come to Jesus in private? Because they were embarrassed. 
because they were embarrassed at what happened. That's why. So the disciples wait, wait for a time when there's not very many people around. After, after Jesus prays for the boy and he's healed, right? After everyone's kind of, you know, the crowd's kind of dissipated a little bit, right? They, they say, Jesus, come here, come here. You know, let's get away from the crowd here, all right? How come we weren't able to, what, what gives here? We prayed for the boy. How come we weren't able to help the young man? And look at his response in verse 20. He replied, because you have so little faith. He tells him, you want to know what the problem was? Your faith wasn't big enough. Your faith didn't rise to the occasion. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can, watch this word, say to this mountain. Now, for us, this would just be any huge obstacle or monumental problem that seems impossible to overcome. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Okay, real quick, I'm going to give you three important points to underscore in this verse, and then we'll move on. First, our lack of faith doesn't just affect us. Sometimes it can affect others as well. Did you know that? If your faith is lacking, you can't help other people experience the move of God in their lives. The disciples' lack of faith almost, almost caused this boy to miss out, not just on his healing, but the move of God in his life as well. See, and, and, and we see this other places in the Bible as well. I think of Mark chapter 2. Remember the four guys that brought the paralytic, carried him in, and Jesus was in a house teaching, and they climbed up on the roof, opened up a hole, and lowered him down in there? Remember that story? See, that's a classic case there where those four guys' faith actually helped that young man get his healing. I think about Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John were walking into the temple and the beggar was at the gate beautiful leading into the temple begging for money. And remember what Peter said to him? Peter said, silver or gold have I none, but what I have I'll give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. That's Acts 3 verse 6. The Bible then says that Peter grabbed the man by the right hand, pulled him up to his feet, and immediately the man was healed. Now, that man was healed not because of his own faith, right? Not because of his own faith. Peter didn't even ask him if he had any faith. He was healed because of Peter's faith. So if you have great faith, you can do great things for other people. If your faith is lacking, other people will lose out. The disciples' lack of faith didn't just affect them. It affected this young man as well. All right, the other point, if you have even a small amount of faith, you can do the impossible. Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus compared faith to a mustard seed because the mustard seed is, I think, the tiniest of all seeds, right? Yet it grew to be one of the biggest trees, right? In other words, a tiny mustard seed could produce a big plant. And a tiny amount of faith can produce big results in our life. Your lack of faith can hinder others. Just a small amount of faith is enough. And then the third point, in order to see results, you have to activate your faith. Note what Jesus didn't say here. He didn't say, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, mountains will move from here to there. He said in verse 20, he said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Now, here's the, 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 the distinction. In order to move the mountain, you have to engage your faith. You have to put it in gear. By speaking to the mountain, you activate your faith. Years ago, I got a credit card in the mail, and I took the card and put it in my wallet. A few weeks later, I need another place. I said, yeah, I'll just use that credit card. So I handed it to the, the cashier, and they, they ran it through there, and uh, they said that uh, it, it, uh, it, it was not allowed. I said, well, really? I said, I haven't, I haven't even used it yet. How could it be declined? She said, no, I didn't say it was declined. I said it wasn't allowed. I took a closer look at the card, and on the back where I was supposed to have signed it, I noticed, you know, it says that to activate this card, call 1-800, you know, whatever, right? 
then I realized I had never called that number. I had the card, I had the credit available, but I had never activated the card, right? And until I activated it, it was worthless. And based on what we know about credit card now, it's still useless, right? All of those credit cards are useless. But in the same way, the faith that you have in heart, right, and in your mind cannot accomplish anything until it's activated, until it's put into action. All right, let's read on. Jesus continues in verse 21, Matthew 17. But this kind does not go out but by prayer and fasting. Okay, remember what he said the problem was. You're unbelieving and you're perverse. Then he says the solution is prayer and fasting. So I'm going to spend the rest of our time here kind of showing you how how those two things kind of solve the other two things. Here's how. Prayer connects us to God. Prayer connects us to God and answers to the unbelief. In fact, the more time you spend in prayer with the Lord, the more your faith will grow. How? Because the more time you spend with someone, the better you're going to get to know them and trust them. The opposite of that is true as well. The less time that you spend with someone, the less you'll get to know them, trust them, and have faith in them. That's why, that's why we spend time in prayer. It's not just so we can you know, check those boxes, let's get this done, I know I'm supposed to do this, you know, got that, got that, got that, right? No, no, no. Remember Jesus said, again, remember Jesus said their lack of faith wasn't just a disconnect problem, but also a connected problem. We're too connected to the world. So prayer addresses the disconnect, but fasting addresses the connect problem. Prayer connects us to God, but fasting disconnects us from the world. So before we go any further, I want to define what biblical fasting is because a lot of people fast, right? But we're not just talking about the world's definition of, or understanding of fasting. I mean, it's good to fast, right? It certainly has its place and its benefits. But remember, we're not just talking about fasting. We're talking about prayer and fasting. It's a huge difference. So real quick, let me tell you what fasting is, isn't, before we talk about what it is. Two things fasting should never be. Number one, fasting should never be public. It should never be public. That is to say, it should not be done to impress others. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 17. But when you fast, again, he expected us to fast. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, when you fast, just do it. Don't advertise it. Don't engage in that false humility or, or, uh, of subtly or not so subtly letting people know that you're fasting. Approach it just like any other day. Just abstain from whatever it is that you're fasting from. If you're fasting television or social media, you don't need to let people know that, right? If you're fasting food and, and your stomach starts growling at you, hey, little help down here, little help, right? Fasting should never be public. Second thing, fasting should, should not be religious. It should never be public, and it should not be religious. In other words, it's not something that we do to secure God's favor. Fasting isn't something we do to prove ourselves with God. I think, because I used to do that. I used to be guilty of this. I used to, to, to I'm going to show God I mean business. I mean, to, I, I mean I'm going to fast, God. You know, like, like fasting kind of somehow twists God's arm. Okay, okay, you know, I'll, I'll answer, I'll answer, right? No, that, that's, not, that's not what fasting is. Fasting isn't religious like that. Fasting should not be public, and it should not be religious. Now, here's a real simple definition of fasting. It's recognizing that some things of the world have cluttered your life and clouded your spiritual view, 
and caused you to lose some kingdom traction. Every time we get caught up in worldly things, it actually causes us to lose some of our spiritual influence because we're called to be salt and light, right? The Bible says that. We're called to be salt and light. And when we get too close to the things of this world, we're not as salty as we used to be. And we don't shine as bright as we once did. Now think about this. Adam and Eve lost their dominion as soon as they fed their fleshly appetite, right? To regain that dominion, you have to do the opposite. You have to deny your appetite. But this isn't just about food. You know, there there are other appetites that work against our dominion, and we'll talk about those here in a few minutes. The point being, it doesn't matter if it's a physical appetite, a social media appetite, a media appetite. The solution is always the same, disconnect. If you're wondering why you're lacking power in your prayer life, maybe you should check your connections. Maybe you need to reconnect with God and disconnect from the world. And see, this is an ongoing process. Like Jesus, the Apostle Paul apparently made prayer and fasting a lifestyle as well. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, he says, In weariness and toil, I, I, sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings often. In fastings, in other words, fasting was simply part of Paul's lifestyle. So apparently Paul was intentional about scheduling specific times of reconnecting with God and disconnecting from the world. And we know that Jesus did the same thing. I want you to think back to, uh, think back with you to the original uh, text in, in 17, Matthew 17, where Jesus cast the demon out of the young man since the disciples weren't able to do that. Remember Jesus' comment to the disciples as to why he was able to do what they weren't able to do. Remember his comment? He said, but this kind does not go out but by prayer and fasting. Jesus' answer here is very, very telling. Notice he didn't say, well, I was able to cast the demon out because, you know, I'm the son of God and and I just got more power than you guys do. No, no, no. It wasn't based on him having something they didn't have access to. In fact, Not too much later, he's going to tell these same disciples this in John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. But the works that he did were on the basis of prayer and fasting. And keep in mind, when Jesus confronts that demon power, he doesn't go on a fast. You see, there's no interim time. There's no interim time there. He didn't say to the Father, oh, boy, this is a real doozy. Tell you what. Uh, I'm going to have to go on a fast, so come back here. Come back. I'll meet you here at 4 o'clock Thursday, and I'll go ahead and, and cast this demon out of that boy. Is that what he did? No. He didn't do that. The point being, it could be that some of our prayers fall flat or don't succeed because we haven't established a habit of fasting with our prayer to better equip us for when we need it. The only logical answer is Jesus was already prayed and fasted up. You see that? Is anyone here? No, that that is an important point. You know, there's going to be times when you're not going to have time to go fast. That's why you need to be prayed up and fasted up. That's why it's important to schedule regular times of not just prayer, but fasting as well. Right? Now, as far as how all this works, no one knows for sure. It's a spiritual reality, but I think understanding a little more about ourselves might help. So put your floaties on. We're going to swim out to the deep end for a few minutes. Again, remember we're dealing with a connection issue, not connected properly to God and too connected to the world. Now, most of you probably know this, but we, all of us, are made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. In fact, you're the only part of God's creation made this way. Most of God's creation is made up of inanimate things, things that only have one part, a body. 
you know, like, like a rock, like a tree, all right? Things that have no soul, no emotions, all right? Now, animals have two parts. Animals have a body and a soul, like, like your dog and your cat, all right? Tail wags, tail tucks. You see that, all right? But, and, and I don't mean to rain on your parade here. If you saw the movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven. But <clears throat> your pet or animal doesn't have a spirit, all right? Do dogs go to heaven? I don't know. I don't know. Do cats? No. No, except, except Donna's. Donna's cat is the only cat. Donna and Ellis Nice's cat is the only ones that are going to go to heaven, as far as I know, right? But the point being, we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. And that's important to know because it plays into this connection problem that we're talking about and, and being unbelieving and perverse. So body. Our body connects us to ourselves. It keeps us self-aware or self-connected. See, that's why we feel hunger, why we feel pain, why we feel pleasure. Our body is how we stay connected to ourselves for better or for worse. You know, that, that's why we have lust, greed. So if our struggle with being perverse is in our body, that's where we need to disconnect from the world. This is why when most people think about fasting, they think about you know, abstaining from food. To bring your body into submission with the goal being to connect more with God. So our body connects to ourselves, us to ourselves. Our soul connects us to others. This is where we connect with others. Here, our happiness, fulfillment comes from someone else. But it's this third part, our spirit, that connects us with God. Now, what you need to know is, at any given time, one of these will be the strongest in you. At any given time. Your body, your soul, or your spirit is going to be the strongest. And whichever one that is, it's going to dominate the other two, right? When your emotions are the strongest, it can overpower your spirit and your body. And sadly, we know this all too well. Letting our emotions rule for very long never, listen, never ends well for us. Some of us have experienced this personally. Some of us have seen this tragically play out in other people's lives. When your body is the strongest, it doesn't matter how you feel or what you think. You'll just do whatever you want. Eat whatever you want. Sleep with whoever you want. When the body's in charge, it has no regard for your emotions or your spirit. Now, when our spirit is the strongest, that's when life goes so much better for us. And by the way, if you've ever struggled understanding what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 8, this should help. Understanding this, how we're made up of these three parts should help. Go back and read. Go back and read that chapter, Romans chapter 8, sometime this week in the context of how we're made up of these three parts, and I think it'll make a whole lot more sense. See, that's where Paul's talking about not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, right? Seriously, that, that chapter will make so much more sense when you understand our threefold nature and how we're made up. The Apostle Paul tells us that the man who's controlled by the Spirit doesn't answer to or respond to his flesh, nor does he let his emotions get the best of him. Now, here, here's the beauty of fasting. When you fast, you get a twofer, right? Because when you fast, you not only weaken your body, your connection to yourself, and your soul, your connection to others, you also strengthen your spirit, your connection to God. Do you see that? Do you see how that works? Right? Because when you pray, your connection to God gets stronger, and when you fast, your connection to yourself and others, i.e. the world, weakens. In other words, you actually, you actually have control over which one of these three is the strongest in you. And when the spirit part of you is dominant, that's when great things begin to happen in your life and in your relationship with God. So real quick, I'm going to give you three things to do to help you apply what we've talked about this morning. Number one, set an objective. 
right? Now, this goes hand in hand with what we talked about last week about having a plan, just like you should have a plan when you pray, so also should you have a plan when you fast. See, now, these, look, these are things that you already know, but you just need to be reminded of them. Uh, things like declare your dependence on God and then live your life in a way that indicates that you're declaring your dependence on God. Um, ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. This is just keeping an, an open and honest heart before God. Number three, refocus on the eternal. And, and, and honestly, this is really so much easier said than done because when you live in a world that pushes us towards the temporal and, and things like that, while not necessarily wrong, right? those things aren't always necessarily wrong in and of themselves, still in the eternal scheme of things, they don't really amount to much. Life is too short to invest as much as we are in some of these things that we are. And I, look, I'm, I'm just as guilty as anyone, right? So I'm not, I'm not fussing at you. I'm, I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to encourage us to get refocused on what really matters. Uh, invite the presence of the Lord into your life. In other words, just pursue getting closer to God. That's why we do these 21 days of prayer and fasting. We do that for a lot of reasons, but they could all distill, distill down to just this idea here. We want to get closer to God. We want to get better connected to Jesus. Uh, believe God for answers to specific needs. Get specific with God in your praying. Now, that might sound odd to you because most of you probably feel like you are specific when you pray, but you should record your prayer Some I did it one time. Years ago, I listened to a preacher said, talking about prayer. said, you, can, you should record your prayer sometimes. You might be surprised at just how vague and redundant that we can be in our prayers, right? But you say, well, God, doesn't God already know? Yes, he does. But it's not a matter of him knowing or you knowing that he knows. It's a matter of you knowing what it is you're needing from him and getting laser-focused on that and asking him and praying about that. I'm telling you, as we wind down this 21 days of prayer, stay engaged with us in this final week, not, not just with prayer, but with prayer and fasting, and watch what God can do when you actively connect better with God and actively disconnect from the world. So set an objective. Number two, decide what type of fast you're going to do. Decide what type of fast you're going to do. You know, there are a lot of different types of fast. You've got food, media, social media, uh, you can go to our, our, our website, familychurch.xyz, and find a lot of resources on this topic that will help you in this area. So in order to make this easier for you, we as a church are issuing a seven-day challenge, seven-day challenge, beginning today at noon, all right, from service to service, the service this Sunday till the service next Sunday. We are going to be pulling the plug on our social media outlets as a church. Sue and I are going to do the same with our social media, with our Twitter Facebook, Instagram, right? But remember, it's not just about disconnecting. It's also about connecting. So the time that you would spend on social media or eating lunch or dinner or breakfast, spend that time connecting with God. So it's not just about disconnecting. It's about connecting as well, right? And when you do so, you should, and this is the third point, expect results. You should expect results. I want to conclude by reading an Old Testament passage in highlight three words here. The passage is found in Isaiah chapter 58. And the whole, the whole chapter deals with fasting, but basically it says that there are three promises for those who will not just fast, but fast God's way. Three promises, but they're contingency promises. That's why the word then appears before each one. So let's read it. Isaiah 58, 8. Here's our, we're starting out, then. Then, here's our first then, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Not just physical healing, although it includes that, but it can also include healing for your marriage, healing for your family, healing for any other relationship, husband-wife relationship, parent-child relationship, healing for all three facets of your makeup, 
body, soul, and spirit. The promise of God's word, the promise of God's word is if you'll pray and fast, you can experience healing. So first is healing, all right? The second then is then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your guard. This isn't talking about perfection. It's talking about just getting your life back on track, right? Back in right standing with God. Back in alignment with God's plan and purpose. In other words, it's talking about holiness. It's talking about holiness. And holiness is just being set apart. Don't be intimidated by that. It's just being set apart like he calls us to be set apart. So healing is one of the promises. Holiness is another one of the promises. And the third one, the third then is attached to this promise of prayer in verse 9. Then you will call on the, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Man, what an amazing promise. God will answer us in our time of need. In other words, help. He'll help. When we get better connected to God and disconnected from the world, then, then the promise of God's word is that he'll heal us, he'll make us holy, he'll set us apart, and he'll help us. What a wonderful promise. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Lord, as we begin to or continue to apply these spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting, give us grace and strength to do so, but also honor the promise of your word and, and give us breakthrough in those areas that, that we might be facing uh, our, our own mountains, our own seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Don't let us succumb to the temptation to be seen and prevent us from allowing these disciplines to become a religion and, and legalistic act. And while you're still bowed before the Lord, if there's anyone among us who's, you're not right with God, maybe you're far from God for whatever reason. If that's you, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer that can make that relationship with God right. I'm not talking about anything you did as a kid or last year or even last month. I'm talking about right now, today. You'd say, Pastor, I'm not serving God like I know I should be, and I, and I want to start doing so. Or start again, either way, if that's you. Let me pray for you. Just lead you in this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for dying for me, for my sins, so that, so that I could not just go to heaven, but have abundant life, life to the fullest, here and now, through a personal relationship with you. Forgive me for my sins, those things I've done that have separated me from you and your will for my life. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that he died for me, that he rose from the dead for me. And I'm asking you, Lord.